what's interesting about Johnson Johnson has very little debt um, and very little pension liabilities. So it's actually a very good company. So we're expecting, um, uh, this is gonna happen in Q2 23, we're expecting um, there to be value creation at this one. My guest today is Jim Osman. Jim is founder of The Edge, a research firm that analyzes investment opportunities for hedge funds and global money managers. He brings more than three decades of knowledge and experience to the table. And when it comes to spin-off special situations or corporate events, well, he's the one I turn to for actionable ideas. He's also a senior contributor to Forbes magazine where he writes a monthly column. I recently sat down with Jim and we talked about how wealth can be created when the stock market is falling and what areas he's looking at right now. Jim, thanks so much for coming on the show. I greatly appreciate it. And I've known you for, uh, I think, seven or eight years. And uh, every time we get together, I always learn so much from you. Thank you. Uh, Jim, yeah, you you sell research. Before we even start, I just want to let our audience know, you sell research services to global asset managers like hedge funds and big money managers. And, and they pay you 12000 20000 really big numbers. Why do they pay you so much money? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, let's take it another way. Someone might argue, well, if you're so good, why aren't you doing it? Well, you know, as you well know, there's a, there's a big uphill struggle to even raise cash at any point in the cycle. And that's always a big uh, job. You know, I've just been passionate about helping money managers and helping uh, people who, uh, you know, just really care for their money not to lose it. And I think the the goal really of uh, of any research of any product that anyone signs up to is is just that um, start with a risk, you know. And and I think that in in our area of spinoffs, um, it negates a lot of the risk just from the fact that the situations can be quite lucrative. So you have a natural downside protection, and that's what's drawn me to the space where, you know, in a world where you know, let's face it, and arguably everything is cheap. Um, you know, everything is cheap out there. There's great companies on sale at the moment, but you buy them and they're 10% cheaper the next day. So how does that work? Um, so, you know, cheap cheap names can get cheaper. But in the case of, uh, just to answer your question, we look in a very niche space of spin-offs and special situations, which, you know, have a natural downside protection in the way they're orchestrated. Okay, so great. So... I want to get into that because your company, The Edge, you focus your research on a very small area of the marketplace where most people, most investors don't even go to. And in that area, which you're going to talk about in just a second, for example, spinoffs, and you'll share with us what exactly those are. Most people don't get that the less investors in a space, the more inefficient the pricing is and the greater the opportunity. Is that more or less right? I mean, pretty much. I mean, the line I always use, Charles, and the line I tell everyone, it's not, um, it doesn't necessarily mean being first or how smart you are. It's looking in the right places. And, and frequently we can get very sidetracked um, and investors get very, very sidetracked um, with um, just focusing on, especially in these sort of markets where they, um, where it touches their emotion. 
You know, they say, well, Amazon's a great company. Why is it down? I'm going to hold on that forever. I should buy more, you know, and they're looking in the wrong places sometimes in where the real value is, especially with spin-offs. We can discuss that in this sort of market. So, you know, what I say to them, you know, there's only three ways to make money. Um, there really is. Um, it's insider information, which you'll go to jail for. It's faster dissemination of information, which computers are going to beat you every day of the week these days. That was great 40 years ago. Um, and But smart analysis. And it's only in smart analysis that investors are going to make money. What is your, yes, analytical edge of saying this stock is cheap? Well, we all know that. Um, but then again, what's the behavioral edge of yourself, what you have in the market compared to everyone else? Like, I'm not going to buy a stock, right? If we all agree Amazon's cheap, we're not just going to buy. It's going to go up. We're going to sell it and make money, right? It just doesn't happen. We have to be different. And frequently in, in my years of investing that, you know, stocks don't start off um, with a huge upside and they realize it. They evolve. And that's very important to, uh, uh, to look at, uh, to, for investors to understand that, one, they've got to be looking in the right place. Two, they've got to have a smart analysis. But three, they've got to recognize that this, the story can evolve on, on what they're looking at. Okay. So let, let's get into it. You look at an area of really special situations, but specifically spinoffs. Now, most people have some idea what spinoffs are, uh, but you not only fish in that pond, you really do the research in that area and find a lot of opportunities. So let's go right through here for a second. What is a spinoff for the layperson who has no idea what a spinoff is and why are they so lucrative? And that's a great question. So a spinoff is a separation of a business from another business, which is spun out, um, essentially um, given out onto the open market without you subscribing for the shares or buying the shares, and you get them whether you like them or not. Okay, right, so, that's the so, one, okay, that's the one liner. So, so this is not an IPO, initial public offering where I have to go buy something or have to research or there's a lot of hype. This is a big company. For some reason or another, you'll share, us, uh, you'll share with us why in a moment. They decide to spin off to current shareholders a piece of the business to make themselves, maybe it's not profitable, maybe it doesn't fit, maybe the business will do better. So for whatever reason, they spin it off to shareholders. Is that more or less what a spin off is? Yeah, pretty much. And I think the the overwhelming, um, you know, the overwhelming line within that, Charles, is like I said before, you're going to get it whether you like it or not. So you're going to end up if a company decides to spin off. Let's take an example for, for a recent example, like a lot of your clients, a lot of mainstream um, investors, the everyday investors, should I say, has IBM maybe in their portfolio at some stage, right? IBM. We all know IBM. Now, how many of those investors um, maybe six months ago, got a, woke up in the morning, got another stock on their, on their trading account, whether it's Schwab, whether it's whatever, and it was called Kindrel. And I'm looking and they're looking at that, they're saying, Kindrel, KD, KD's a ticker. What is that? Um, what, why is it? Why do I got it? Well, you've got it because you own shares of IBM and they decided to spin off their outsourcing computer business. And you've got it. So what do you do with that naturally as an investor if you don't understand something on your portfolio you've got? You just get rid of it. So there's been a number of these through the years. And, and like I say, investors will wake up in the morning and they just won't understand what they, why they got these shares from. And that's part of the dynamics of spinoffs. And particularly in this market, as I hit to earlier, that 
you're just going to get them whether you like it or not, and you're not necessarily even going to know that you've got them, and you're just going to sell them. Right. And, and and that provides opportunity just in there itself. Right, because you have shares in the hands of people who never wanted them, who don't know the value of them, and I didn't buy IBM to get this small little division. I bought IBM to get IBM. So out, out I sell it regardless of price. Is that more or less right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. So, so uh, let, let's take a step back for a second. Why would a company decide to do something like this? To spin off, to spin off like, was it KD, Kindrel? Why does IBM, huge company, decide to say, you know what? Let's give this part of our business, let it run as an independent company, independent managers, separate checking accounts, separate business altogether. We're going to give the shares to shareholders. And they usually have some type of proportion, right? They say, for every one share of IBM, you're going to have two shares of this or something like that. So that's known. Why does, on the management level, why does management do something like that? So, so that's a great question. And, and why, why would they do why would they do something like that, right? Um, there, there may be 10 answers to that question. So let me give you three of the more, um, no, not basic, but more common common ways. Now, when a company decides to spin off, um, they will give a reason. And they will give that reason with the spin-off. They'll say, you know what? One, we want to realize great evaluations for two distinct businesses. You know, let's say one um, looks at the cloud, one looks at computer services, you know, and then they say, well, it just doesn't fit with a business. Um, we can get a better valuation for two. We can enhance shareholder value um, with that, right? Whether that's true is a different is a different question. Okay. Okay. Because so, so wait, 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 about- let's hold up. Let's hold up there because about about right about now when we'll be broadcasting this uh, podcast, uh, it's the anniversary. I think it's uh, now seven or eight years since eBay, a company that most people know, spun off PayPal. So PayPal was part of eBay. Management decided, you know what? This is back in 2015. It doesn't fit. Could you just walk us through that, Jim? Yeah, absolutely. So you had a payments business and you had a, a marketplace, right, at the simplest level. Now, they said, um, and, I, and I think it was some activist, um, activist intervention by uh, Carl Icahn as well at the time, if I remember correctly. Um, but, um, but what they said was, these businesses don't fit together we can realize two distinct valuations for the business. Now, we can separate those, and you, you, you as a shareholder of eBay will get shares of PayPal. And, and for the moment, um, when that come out, and I think it was one of the first to say, actually, um, it wasn't a good deal, um, and, and the shares kind of collapsed really on, on, on when they listed, but it went on to be a very, very good company. Look, look, the rest is history where, you know, there's been more payments, there's been an impact on their business, things like that, and, and the share price has come down. But initially, there was huge value creation after the four pay, PayPal, that these were two distinct businesses. So the premise of that, as, as, as you know, Charles, is the fact that um, the one plus the one equals three. So we're getting a greater um, entire valuation for the businesses as a whole um, broken up. Right, because um, and the, it releases value. So that's the great the greater valuation. Right. So two businesses argument. Because PayPal was snuck in there, and and the street doesn't know how to value it. It's tucked away in eBay. It doesn't have its own visibility. So management looks at that and says, you know, we can get more for this if it stands in its own limelight on its own than we can tucked in here. And I, and I, I think, you know, learning from you so many years is that many of these companies 
are, uh, you know, just you're just doing unbelievably well, these smaller companies within the bigger companies, these divisions or segments, but the big companies just siphoning off all that cash. So it never, you know, it's like, you know, Cinderella, the ugly sisters yeah. go to the ball and she stays home. And, and, and you're right. And that's one of the reasons I think, you know, that's the good. And if I give you the bad and the ugly, um, you know, so a lot of your um, uh, investors will know Honeywell, of course. Honeywell, great company. Now, a few years ago, um, they were approached um, by an activist to break up their business. In fact, we were we were slightly involved in that as well. But they, the, what they did eventually was they broke up into three parts. Now, what Honeywell shareholders got was Residio um, and um, um, I forgot the other name of the one now. Residio, the other breakup. I'll come to me in a second. Um, but but both of those companies were spun off. Now, what Honeywell did, sadly, um, was dump all its debt onto uh, the spin-off companies, and those spin-off companies suffered. I mean, it's just like me saying, Charles, you're my child. You know what? We're going to move out to North Carolina, which they did, from Jersey. And by the way, I've got all this debt. I'm just going to give you that, if you don't mind. Get your hand lit. And we're going to fly. Right. And Honeywell stopped flew, and the other ones, Residio, um, went to almost into bankruptcy right. and out of bankruptcy. And the other was Garrett. So, the other one was Garrett. Garrett Motion, of course. Right. I don't know why they escaped yeah. me. I mentioned that the other day. But um, so you had these two companies. So what they did, they just dumped all their debt. Um, you know, like I say, the difference between when a company announces what they're going to do and what they think to what they actually happens is where we come in right. and we analyze it, right. right? And we say, well, hold on a second. They said they're going to realize better valuations, but what about this billion dollars of debt they just bought in the company? And right. <laughs> that's not going to realize as much of a valuation. So that's where the that's where the analysis comes in. But on the face of it, that's another reason why a big company might um, you know spin off a smaller company just to make it cleaner. And um, you know, it's not that ethical, really, if you think about it. You know, if you're my child and I say, Charles, there you go, there's a billion dollars debt, we're off. Can you deal with it, please? You'd be like, hold on a second, yeah, how do I do you know, this? It's like the shareholders, you know, be damned. They have to figure it out. But but here's the thing, yeah. Jim. Here's the thing about this that that uh, that you really specialize in and you're really good at is you look at the spinoff as its own company and you do a lot of the really legwork and analysis that most investors don't do. And it's not because they don't have the time. It's that they, they, they're, it's such a uneven game because they're getting a stock they never wanted, they never paid for it, they never intended, they never researched. So you have a situation where shares of a company are given to shareholders who mostly institutions don't want them. And that's what creates the opportunity. Is that right? I think partly, yeah. I mean, and, and I have sympathy for the investors. Why, why should they get a share if they don't know anything about? Uh, it could be a smaller company, a tiny company, put on their books and told it's, it's for the greater good. Well, I mean, what do you do with it? So exactly. So that's where we come in and we're looking at these spin-offs in the case of you know, whether it's just like you better get rid of it straight away because it's going down, like in the case of um, uh, Kindrel of IBM, where yep. we said, you know what, it's not, it's worth 10 bucks. It went from 20 to 10. I mean, you know, if you're an investor held in that, you'd be saying, oh, hold on a second, what did I get? What yeah, did they give yeah, me? Yeah. And you so, mm -hmm. you know, you're not creating any value. So the the the, the key is really, um, and, and like I say, it does take work, it does take analysis, but the key is to find, but that's but that's only part of it on the on the spin-off as well. There's also, we can come to this, 
on spin-offs that are around now as well, which have got bis- discarded by the market because they can make really yeah, great investments. Yeah, the, the, those orphan companies that no one's looking at, definitely. I want to get to them in a second, but I just want to stay on this for one more second. And I find so fascinating, Jim, is that most people don't know of how many companies that are household names that were born uh, from a spin, from a bigger company. For example, most people don't know Chipotle was spun off of McDonald's. McDonald's was a big, uh, they owned Chipotle. And they spun yeah. that off in 2006, and Chipotle went up, I don't know, two, 3,000 <laughs> percent. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think I might mention this story, but I had a guy come up to me and he said, Jim, he said, you know what? I was speaking at a conference. He said, Jim, I, I had McDonald's and they gave me this stock called Chipotle <laughs> and I knew Chipotle. He said it was pretty good. He said, I got given it like 13 bucks. It went to 20 and um, and I got rid of it. I thought it was the greatest trader in the world. And then it went to like two or three thousand where it is now. Yeah. But, you know, he didn't know what the value of that worth was worth right and, and, and by the way in, all, in, in all fairness he bought mcdonald's he knew a fast food business of burgers and fries he had no idea about tacos and so when he's given this stock uh, wakes up one morning mcdonald's decides you know we want to focus on the golden arches and not on mexican fast food which was a big mistake boy if they would have had that gosh almighty <laughs> that was you know to spin off chipotle was i guess they look back every every time and say what the heck did we do but the value <laughs> creation of Chipotle was, I think, it was up two or three thousand percent, some crazy number. Well, McDonald's, yeah. no slouch, it went up. I don't know, maybe tenfold. But this was a twenty or twenty-five bagger. And and the, and the interesting thing about another interesting thing about it, Charles, is because they they spin off. It's not always bad, right? Like I gave a couple of bad ones. The Kindra went down. The Honeywell dumped their debt. A lot of them are, are, are very very good. And you know, we do we done a study on uh, up to two thousand and fifteen. And we're updating our conference on November for 22 years. But it shows that these niche businesses um, are very likely to get taken over. Now, let me give you a little bit of a secret, a little bit of your, um, your listeners for a, a, an insight, um, because we've just found out that where we thought that about 30% of get, they get taken over about two years. Remember, these are niche businesses that get spun off into the market, specializing in what they do good. With, with top management who are good at what they do. So their incentives, their entrepreneurship, their skill will enable great business in the future, right? Okay, our job is to identify that, but take that for the moment. So we have a system in the States where um, at two years, um, we have a takeover rule. Now, if a company gets taken over, a spun-off company gets taken over before that, the acquirer has to pay the tax. If they don't, around two years is a prime time for them to get takeover. Now, in our spin-off study, we found out that around 30 to 35% of spin-offs get taken over around that two-year rule. And that's why, because they're totally niche, great businesses. Now, what our study suggests now, and here's the insight, is that number has gone higher. Mm. Um, so in fact, there's more spin-offs, but there's, there's probably better quality spin-offs. And initially, when you dump, when when the parent might dump the company, um, let's say dump it for a bad reason, like a Honeywell, and, and then it goes into bankruptcy like a Residio, but then you can analyze that when they're down there, they can come back uh, tr- for a tremendous return. So this might be a lot for your listeners because they're thinking, oh, it's a lot to do. But that's what we do in mm-hmm, terms of mm-hmm. finding out the value of these, right, these names. Right. So, for example, it's another thing which I was uh, looking at a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Circuit City had a used car dealership 
buried in there. And that was CarMax. And they spun off CarMax. Most people don't know that Circuit City. And that's another mm -hmm. thing. Circuit City should have kept CarMax. Uh, you yeah. know, Circuit City went out of business, but CarMax is a fantastic company. Uh, yeah. a, a leader, a leader in, uh, in, in the used car market. And, and, and you're right. Yeah, sorry, Joe. No, sorry, no, 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 I'm just, I think that, Go ahead. I think I, I was going to say that, that, you know, ultimately, the company initially might be thinking, oh, you know what? We're just going to say it's a better valuation. We're going to spin off. We're going to dump the debt on it. But it, it, it puts out, when, when you put good management, it's one of the things we analyze as well. You put good management into a bad business that's on its arse, let's say, and they turn that around, then you can get very, very good businesses. And that was, so what was initially was bad, it, it, you know, if you were given a business, you're an entrepreneur, a lot of your listeners are going to be entrepreneur. If you were given a business, first thing you were looking at, right, it's a bad business. How do I turn this around? How can I refinance the debt? How can I, how can I put people incentives so they work harder? And all those sort of dynamics come into play on the spin-off companies because they are brand new companies come to the market. Now, contrast this with IPOs. Now, IPO has gone from... 100 billion last year to about 5 billion worth this year, right? Why? Because no one wants to buy companies because they're manufactured companies. I want to sell you at the highest possible price to make lots of money for me. That's a bad investment right off the bat. With the spin-offs, you're getting them where you like it or not. The company you need to work out or we need to work out why, what the dynamics are behind that, whether it's you know, um, uh, value creation or they're just trying to get rid of a bad company and actually it's going to fall and then you're going to buy it. Um, and, and who are the management and how they incentivize and all those sort of things can be particularly interesting for us um, when, when we're trying to spot investments. Right. And now uh, from I'm, I'm seeing out there and, and, and tell me if I'm, I'm uh, right on this is that bigness is bad. You know, companies are now taking the conglomerate and they're breaking it off. Deconglomeratization is now the new thing. And we have some humongous companies, well-known names, and I think you have them, three of them in the article uh, that we'll go through in a sec, that are now spinning off, and it seems like a win-win. The parent's going to do well, and the spin-off's going to do well. So what, what do you see? You, do you see that trend happening with bigger companies looking to get smaller because bigness is very, very hard to manage? Well, your, your listeners are here at a special time because if they want something, um, you know, a little bit fresh, but in their wheelhouse, in a value investing wheelhouse um, and, and good investing wheelhouse, should I say, not in value, good investing, smart investing, and spin us a place to look. Because from my experience, and I've been doing this for a long, long time now, the spin-offs, um, some of the best ones, some of the best ones to short are the tops of markets where the valuation gets full, maybe it's a commodity, maybe there's something else. But what, what the really interesting ones are, 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 are when markets are retraced, right? Look, we can argue all day whether it's the bottom of the market or not, who knows? But when markets are depressed, but they are now, valuations are on the cheaper side and, and you get companies that are spun off and you're going to go, well, hold on a second, I need a light, so I'm going to sell it. So they become even cheaper. That's where investors need to look. Now, what, why is this happening? Um, to answer your question, are they going to get more? Yeah, they are. We've got another 12, 13 spin-offs before the end of the year, for example. I mean, this is nuts. So why is that happening? Well, I'll go into those uh, companies in a second, but just to give the listeners a background, we it happens because um, you can't IPO. We've seen that. IPO markets collapse. Um, you can't sell a company. Do you want to buy a new company for me in this environment? Of course you don't. Um, and SPACs are a dirty word, right? You know, the SPACs are never coming back. So 
those three methods of actually getting rid of companies just don't work, right? So what are we, what's your last um, resort right here to try and create value? And as a manager, you need to create value. Um, can you raise the prices on people in environmental recession? No, of course you can't. Can you try and increase your margins? Probably not. You know, so where's it happen? So if you've got businesses within businesses that are naturally better for a greater valuation, then you're going to come to the spin-off space. And you're going to spin those off to existing shareholders um, and, and you're going to you know, hopefully create value that way. So that's why there's more of these happening. Yeah, and I see now, uh, I saw in the first half of this year, uh, there were close to 700 or so CEOs that, of public companies that either resigned, were fired, or retired. Interesting. Yeah, so it, it's that, you know, they, if they're not creating value now, and especially with the chips down and the markets down, the economy's, you know, running into a wall... If they don't create value, these guys are being shown the door. So one well, one way they're showing value now is to is to uh, spin off companies, uh, spin off divisions, spin off segments to create shareholder value. Otherwise, activist investors just you know they'll 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 show them the exit door rather quickly. Absolutely, and one of the ones, and we work for activist investors, you know. And if you look on my blog, you'll see Hillenbrand, which is one that you know I believe should be spun off. Um, I think the company going through a strategic review right now. But, you know, activist investors will be buying at the hills for some of these companies because, you know, it was easy. You know, it's been easy for CEOs. They sit in their chair, share price goes up. Look at me, I'm great. We all make money when the market goes up, right? It's when the market comes down, we'll see how good you are. And uh, we'll see how good you are because, you know, and I wrote an article recently, wealth is created on the way down. And that is a hugely way out there. Yeah, let, let me stop you, Jim. Let me stop you. And that's something that I, I write to my subscribers all the time, and most people don't get. You make money in a bull market, but you create wealth in a bear market. I want you to elaborate on that because you're one of the few people that do get it. Well, I think that, you know, I've got a slightly contrarian brain. Well, I've got a very contrarian brain in most things. Does it, does it, <laughs> does it make me the, uh, uh, everyone's biggest fan? Not really, but I say what I think. And, and I think that as the market comes down, you know, contrary to popular belief, risk comes out of the market. It's not incre increasing more risk. When the market goes up, you're increasing risk by holding stocks. When the market comes down, it's de-risking. Now, people don't view that. They're like, what do you mean de-risking? I'm riskier. Things are going nuts. We're going to recession. No, no. If the price comes down and valuation gets cheaper, you are having less risk for being in stocks. Now, if I can have less risk and buy good quality companies for the longer term, I'm not talking about three months, six months, right? We don't know what's going to happen. Market's all over the place. I don't really care. But if you can buy good quality companies at cheap prices, um, you know, you're going to have those stories in 10 years. You're going to say, you know what? I bought Amazon 10 years ago. You know what was happening then? Everyone thought everything was going to zero. Credit Suisse was collapsing. Um, the, the, the economy was going mad. We had a lunatic government doing everything. And I bought Amazon. And now look here, right? So, you know, if you can create, if you can spot good companies in a down market at great valuations, you're going to be benefiting five, 10 years now. You're going to be laughing. And, but, and here's the big but. It, it, it takes a lot to remove that emotional um, um, uh, uh, edge from yourself to say, well, hold on, I think everything's going to zero. Let me give you a clue. Everything's not going to zero. And, um, you know, from American companies, you've got an S&P index, which is fantastic, the best companies in the world. Never forget that. The S&P 500 are the best companies in the world. 
and you can invest in that at a low price. Now, if, if I give you that opportunity as it is, you're going to take it um, because you just have to grin and bear it for the for the short-term yeah, yeah, you know, look, So that's what I mean about creating wealth. You know, I forget where I saw this, but there was a great quote. It said, if you're buying stocks for less than three years, you're a stock picker. If you're buying them for more than five years, you're a business picker. And business pickers make money because and I'm, with, with the stock, I'm a massive fan of that. Yeah, you with, have to invest like you're an owner. Right. You, if you own a business, what could happen over the next month, next quarter, next year? Who the hell knows? But over the long term, you have to basically say, will this business be materially higher five years and 10 years from now than it is today? And if you can't answer that question, you should not be buying the company. But if you can, with some degree of certainty, it's hard not to make money. And, and I would add into, and I agree with you, Charles, and I would add into that for the listeners that they should be looking at great businesses, but not so much on the feeling as well, because a lot of these businesses, like I said, I think the big tech you were here to earlier where, you know, you know, three years ago, we thought everything was Amazon, Facebook, um, Google, and that was it, right? Now we're thinking, well, hold on a second, these are the biggest um, tech things ever. Um, you know, they could be a lot smaller. You know, there's a big breakup value in Facebook right here. Um, so, you know, you've got to look at businesses where, yes, they're going to be material value, but you also got to have the, um, the, the, the analysis to back that up right. and say, well, you know what, is anyone really going to create another Amazon over the next five years? I'm not so sure. Yeah. You know, is anyone going to, you know, uh, that's what you got to put. So those big businesses, if they're cheap enough, make sure they have an edge and a, a moat, I'd say, right. in Buffett terms, around that to take them to take them further. And a visionary leader, you know, I'm a big visionary leader fan. People don't like Elon Musk. You know, he's a visionary leader. You take it or leave it, right? I don't care. But you know, they, these are the sort of people we need to invest. Do you like do you like Jeff Bezos? Do you like Zuckerberg? Everyone will probably shake their head. These are visionary leaders. Yeah, yeah. So now, let's just, as, as we get closer to the the end here, I just want to sh I want you to to give your insight. There are three household names of companies that have been around a hundred plus years. I think one of them was the original, yeah, generally one of them was the original uh, entry in the Dow Jones. And these three companies are now going to be spinning off their subsidiaries, parts of their business over the next year or so. So let's go through them. And the reason is, I think you wrote, you wrote well about it, is that it's hard to manage big, diverse businesses. It's just not it's not a value creator. You have, it's like a two-headed llama. You know, one, one end is pulling, one end's pushing. And it's hard to run huge businesses, as, as we're finding out now, as, uh, you know, when the, the tide goes out, you get to see you swimming naked. A lot of these businesses are having problems. So let's go through them one by one. General Electric, one of the mm -hmm. original in the Dow, I think it's, uh, this company's over 120, 130 years or so, probably even more. They're going to be spinning off their health. They're, they're made up of what? Three companies, correct? Mm -hmm. What are the three companies they're made up of? Well, so let me give you a background about General Electric because I think it's important first that, you know, everyone knows General Electric, right? It was the company and, you know, I haven't been in America as long as anyone on this list, I guess, has. But it was one of those companies where um, you had, uh, <laughs> you were told to get into it, right? You were told to buy it. What, you haven't got General Electric? What are you, nuts? And, um, and you know, that was forced on a lot of people. And, um, and that, that, that was the right thing to do. And it grew and grew and it was a great management. And then Imelk um, took over and, and he in fact destroyed value completely. 
And, um, and there's a big argument for that. We won't go into that too much. But what it comes down to is General Electric was probably one of the worst, America's worst disasters in companies, really, um, the way that fell. Um, so we had some new management takeover. Um, we, 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 they, they looked at um, what was going on and they started to say, well, hold on a second. This company does everything. Um, and, you know, today it's just not viable to do everything. Um, you just can't do it. And uh, can you have a zillion businesses at once? No, I'm not, I'm not sure you can. So um, it's been on a, it's, this has been on a radar since, uh, I say, January 18 um, for potential value creation opportunities. And um, a few years later, uh, he announced a three-way breakup. Um, it's going to take place in two parts. Um, GE Healthcare by 2023 and GE Renewable Energy and Power Spin-Off to be called um, uh, Venova, GE Venova by early 2024. This leaves the, its aviation business as the core remaining business. Now, listen, the, 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 this leaves, the complex nature of this um, leaves it huge room for mispricing on where the cash goes, where the debt goes, what companies come out better, what the management are. And this takes real analysis. Now, if you want to make the most of that and you ask me why do people come to us, they say, Jim, I need your expertise on what, what company is the better company um, to go for. Now, I had a chat with, just a side note um, on spin-offs. I had a chat with one of the big GE analysts on the street and he said, after, after um, January next year, I ain't covering GE anymore. Right. I'm like, why? He's like, well, because then they don't do what I do anymore, right? So, you know, that's where analysts, that's where they kind of get dislodged in your term, orphan securities, where they get dislodged and people forget about them. You're saying people are going to forget about this part of GE. So this company is splitting into three for value creation. Now, this is kind of on its last leg. So they've got to make some value here. So it's going to be super interesting, but it's going to take a lot of work to find out um, where the value is. So that happens uh, um, pretty soon. Okay. Q1 healthcare yeah, right. and, and energy. So we have General Electric, which was founded in 1892 after 130 plus years, realizing we cannot manage three separate businesses and they're going to spin off their healthcare and um, the aviation business. To, is it the aviation or the, the power business, I think, right? Yeah, they're going to keep the, keep the right. aviation business. So they're going to keep it, and one shareholders are going to wake up one morning and see shares of the healthcare, and then they're going to see shares of the uh, power business. And, yeah, and you're not going to be told. You're right, not, you're, right. you'll, have some, you'll have something through your email, whether you see right, that right, or not. Right, right, right. Most people would have no be. idea what the valuation of this new GE healthcare business is. They'll probably sell it, and there's the enormous opportunity. Okay, that's number one. Number two company that you okay. talked about is Johnson and Johnson, which is John, everybody knows it. Yeah. Everybody knows a company, but how many knows, how many people know they're spinning off? Probably I'd say very little again, you know, people know about the business and, you know, big pharma, um, you know, it's always been reasonably okay. Really as an investment, I'd say slow burner, nice dividends. Um, but you've had the major players come into play in the last few years, Pfizer for obvious reasons with a vaccine, um, whether you agree with that or not, um, uh, you know, they spun off as well. Um, GlaxoSmithKline um, in, in separating uh, their consumer segment. So Big Pharma, again, that big that big word that goes with pharma is uh, is not so fashionable anymore. So they are, uh, th those guys are slimming down. And what, um, 
And what Johnson Johnson is doing is separating their consumer health segment uh, to focus on the uh, developmental drug portfolio. Again, the, the, the kind of dynamics of what they do uh, is all kind of a bit of marketing for them. But in this transaction, uh, J&J will spin off its consumer health segment and retain the pharma and medical devices segment. So um, that's what they're doing. They're kind of creating value that way. Um, it has little debt. What's interesting about Johnson Johnson has very little debt um, and very little pension liabilities. So it's actually a very good company. So we're expecting um, uh, this is going to happen in Q2 23. We're expecting um, there to be value creation at this one. And what can investors do now? Well, ahead of that, um, they can sort of you know start accumulating the shares. Maybe if it's a cheap valuation, right, they right. their own sources. Well, shares of Johnson and Johnson now. So when the spin does happen and by the way, the shares are down, you know, due to this bear market. Uh, when the spin does happen a year from now or so, they wake up one morning and they have shares of the consumer health um, uh, uh, company. Yeah. And, and what and what we're seeing, Charles, is a lot of that value um, coming up to the spin in good companies. Let me make that decision. In good companies, on the rally up to the spin, and it is a rally because the value starts to get embedded, starts getting embedded in the share price, and that's why you rally. So investors here are very early. In uh, your listeners are very early in being able to look at this again. Check in with us. Check in with your broker. They probably won't know anything. But once sure. stuff gets once stuff gets filed, you know you're going to be like, well, this is where the cash is going. This is where the debt right, is going. Right, this right. is the better company to hold. But ultimately, you're buying a good company right now in Johnson Johnson. Right. And like you said, most analysts when this, these kinds of things happen, they just walk away from it or don't cover it as well. It's just uh, there's too many moving I parts. I spoke to um, I spoke to Joel Greenblatt actually, and um, who, who everyone's going to know when he wrote that um, ridiculously titled but fantastic book. We want to be a stock market genius, and I said, you know what, Joel, when you wrote that book in um, I think it was like '97, um, everything's come full circle. Nothing's changed. Yeah. People sell the spin-off, analysts don't cover it. No one knows what's going on in them <laughs> with spin-offs. Um, what's nothing's changed. Nothing has changed, which is frightening, really, considering we claim to be sophisticated investors. We're not. Nothing's changed. Yeah. And you know what I found, you know, from my years working on Wall Street, knowing so many people like you, well, I think you know more, a lot more people than I, is that most of these analysts, a lot of great ones, many of them don't want to work that hard in areas where they have to go out on a limb and do a lot of investigative journalism and act like Sherlock Holmes. Because it's much easier to call up the CFO and get some information and then look at what everyone else's research on this. But to tear apart a company and look at it from the ground and say, what's going to happen here? You know what? I'll find a company that's easy to do and then move on. Well, if our business is evidence of that, we've grown. We've grown in the space. People come to us for that reason. Yeah. And like you say, it's you know, how many analysts who say to me, you know, like I say, to take the GE analyst, for example, he says, well, Jim, I don't do aviation, but I do the right. other bit and I don't do that bit. He's like, well, is he going to break up the company and give it? Of course he isn't. Where's that little piece gone? Where's that bit in the yeah, middle that know, someone has to do? That little piece will do? probably go on to be an orphan until it becomes uh, enough uh, a time in the marketplace where some analyst in aviation will pick it up and cover it. But till that time- And that could be sick. That it could be six months, nine months down the line. a year, a year plus. Yeah, 50%. yeah. And the last company, which is another. So we have one company, General Electric, which is going to be spinning in, uh, which was founded in 1892. Other one was Johnson & Johnson, founded in 1886. And the last one is on everyone's breakfast uh, table, most people, <laughs> is 
Kellogg's, founded in 1906, they're going to be spinning as well. Well, we say, yeah, well, exactly. We say, I always say Kellogg's. Is in fact Kellogg, <laughs> but, um, yeah, but yeah, it's, it's Kellogg's yeah. on the box. But they, yeah. the, the name is Kellogg. It's kind of odd, really. But I, I thought that you know, I'm a big fan of uh, intermittent fasting and all that. And I thought people aren't eating breakfast anymore. But then you know, for Americans, I saw a study the other day. America, <laughs> breakfast is one of the most important meals of the day. Mm. Um, so that aside, it was just a side note. Mm. But what Kellogg are doing. Um, they're gonna uh, they're gonna separately listed their fast growing uh, global snacks business um, from their uh, from their plant based. Well, what are some what are some of the what are the, some of the global snacks that most people know about? Global snacks are gonna be things like um, I've forgotten on my head, Charles. Now you put me on the spot. Right, um, you're real. I can't think of the main ones. That, huh? I don't, I don't eat snacks anymore. All right, so this is one. Yeah, that's true. Jim, for those of you who don't know, is a triathlete, a triathlete and, he, and he rides his bike in all sorts of weather. One of the famous ones that Kellogg's has, which most people don't know, is, uh, uh, um, whatchamacallit, Pringles, no? Pringles, that's right, Pringles. And and I never eat Pringles. No, no I don't <laughs> think you would. Uh, but, um, but, I mean, like, just, to, just on the basis of just looking at an investment like that, Charles, what I'd see is, you know, changing consumer habits, you know, young people, you know, they're not everyone like us, right? We like to sit down and get a few Pringles out, maybe, maybe not me, but it used to mm-hmm. watch a movie, whatever. I mean, they're not desperately doing that, young people. They like a little bit of plant-based stuff. They don't like to eat too much, you know. Whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. I keep saying that. Whether we like it or not, it doesn't matter. But recognise the environment, recognise what's going forward, recognise the change in cultures, and put a common sense um, you know, you don't, it doesn't always have to be about numbers. Put a common sense lens on it and say, yeah, this is interesting. Plant-based yeah. foods, am I interested in them? Not desperately, um, but a lot of people are. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's what you got to look at. So they're spinning off as well. Yeah, you know, the, again, with, with, you know, with Kellogg's, they're an old company, and they have uh, really iconic brands. There's uh, Ego and Pringles and Cheez-It and Nutrigrain, and then you have the cereals like right. – uh, Frosted Flakes and Kellogg's and and then they have the plant base, which is very small, which is this, uh, you know, the meat uh, kind of substitutes. Uh, whatever, yes. What do what they call that? Morningstar. Morningstar Farms and all that. Yeah. So, yeah. so investors are going to wake up one morning and be given uh, two different companies uh, and yeah, then go and on with them and not know what to do with them. And they're not, and they're not, and they're just, and your natural inclination is just going to sell it. I don't right, know what this is. Right. It's going to appear, and this is the worst thing, it's going to appear as a credit. It's not going to appear as a loss. You're going to have a credit. You're going to have a credit. And what you're going to do, and especially, and this is why I come back to these sort of bear markets where you've got, I'm going to give you money, Charles. That's what basically he's going to look at. I'm going to give you money on your account tomorrow. And you're going to see a a bunch of money on your account. You don't know what it is. I'll take that. You sold it. Sadly, sadly, that is the mentality that hasn't changed. Hey, hey, Jim, Jim, if it wasn't, we wouldn't be making money and you wouldn't have spinoffs outperforming the S&P by almost two to one over the past decade or so, uh, two decades. And, and, you know, you think about it. I always think when I look at these spins, am I passing, am I, am I, do I own McDonald's and I'm passing on Chipotle? Like, is this the next Chipotle? You don't want to miss that. You know, a, a 20 bag or a 25 bag that was given to you. And you watch it go up 50% or 60%, I think, the first couple of days. And you said, wow, I feel like Warren Buffett. Let me sell. And I made a zillion dollars. Or, you know, owning Circuit City. And when you were given CarMax, you said, ah, I invested in electronic superstores. I don't know anything about cars or used cars. 
So, so there's so much here and there's so much inefficiencies and that's really where you and uh, your company and your team shine. And I, I thank you for that, Charles. And I think that, you know, the investors are, are clearly, you know, the, the mentality, sadly, with any investor, not just yours, not just me, ourselves, and we've got to check our brains on this sometimes, is we want to snatch at a profit and we want to let a, a loss run. Yep. Right? That's, yep. What, that's the way we are. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, folks, Jim Osman, The Edge, you can uh, follow him, which I do uh, in, in, um, on Forbes. He's a Forbes columnist. He puts together one or two articles a month or so, and you can go back and look at him. I'll put a link down below in the description for Jim to the, um, to the articles. Really fascinating stuff. You give away everything in these articles. Uh, and, and, you know, by the way, you're one of the few people who go deep into these articles. You give your analysis. It's like the stuff that you sell. Uh, for 12,000 plus, uh, you just could follow some of your articles and get tremendous insight, yeah? Well, thank you, Charles. I appreciate it. Like I said, I'm passionate about helping people. I'm passionate about people winning. hope that comes through. I've got another article tomorrow. I'm going to try and produce one a week going up to December. Um, it's my book coming up. That won't be out till next year. But like I oh, say, I'm book, trying What's to the book on? I didn't know you were writing a real book. Yeah, I was asked to write a book by a couple of people, which sounds like I'm a bit special. I'm not. But it's about special situation investing. And um, like I say, I'm, I'm getting everything I've ever lived right. and I, experienced, I, I, good I, or I bad, and put it down. Put down the first copy, well, maybe, maybe the 10th copy. You give it to your family, sir. But definitely I want one of those copies signed by you. Absolutely, a man. Because, uh, watch out on the full vlog. And uh, like I say, get checking if you need me. And uh, I yeah, appreciate your time. Definitely. And, uh, and one more thing I just want to call out, because there are, there, there are some guys on Wall Street that you would you – would, Check your pockets after you speak to them. But Jim's not one of them, folks. He gives back. And one thing that Jim has done for the past several years is he runs a conference free of charge for a small group of people. And all the money raised, which is voluntary, give uh, is for Alzheimer's. You want to just plug that for just a second, Jim, why you do it and, uh, and how successful it's been. And I've been to several of your conferences already. Thank you, Charles. I appreciate that. Yeah, listen, I've got passion about the uh, finding a, a, um, a cure for this terrible disease. Um, and uh, we are at a conference, 17th of November. We're about to put the invites out in the next week. Um, but we, we it's a charitable conference. 100% of everyone, where one gives um, by the little fee that Eventbrite take, um, goes, to, uh, goes to the charity. Um, we've, it's got bigger and bigger every year. Bloomberg, WSGA, Barons are covering it again this year. Um, we get special people there who have real insight, who give up their time. Um, you get a little bit of stuff from me, which is not the interesting part, but uh, you'll get um, some proper people giving their uh, advice and, and ideas, and people come for ideas. So it's one of those situations where everybody wins. The charity win, um, yourself wins because you come with ideas. You get free breakfast on me, yeah. and the speakers get some publicity. So it's yeah. one of those rare occasions these days where everyone wins. We're in New York City. We have a maximum of 100 people only, 17th November. If you want to check in on the website, say you want to be put on the list for the output um, when it's uh, done, then check in. But, yeah, passionate about um, yeah. The, the charity, passionate about helping people. And, Jim, I think this is the first year you're not having it uh, um, on Zoom, right? A couple of, last couple of years it was, or last well, year was the first year. I don't remember. Yeah, the last couple of years for obvious reasons on Zoom. It went pretty well, to be honest. We raised our most ever last year yeah. on Zoom. Um, but I just like like you. I like meeting people, I like shaking yeah. your hand, you know, I like smiling, I like uh, eating some food, and, uh, you know, I just like seeing people. So uh, so it's back in person this year at the Penn Club, uh, Ivy League Club, fantastic place. Yeah. Love it. 
um, and um, looking looking forward to seeing you. Yeah, Charles, yeah. Hopefully, uh, you know, the last couple of years we we weren't able to make it up for obvious reasons because the pandemic. But I hope to uh, come and and bring uh, my analyst with me because we had a good time the first time. I think it was three four years ago we went. Yeah, really fantastic. Got some great speakers really lined up and uh, about to announce those in the next week. But uh, yeah. Thank All you. right, beautiful. Okay, folks. Uh, Jim Osman, if you a special situation, he's the man. I, I I tell you what, when I have a situation with a special situation or a spinoff, it's his work that I look to I look right at, and uh, he's he's good. He's just good. There aren't that many people. Thirty five years in the business, and know what they're talking about. So, Jim's one of them. Jim, I want to thank, thank you, you for you your know. time, man. Uh, continued success in all that you do. Thanks so much. Looking forward to catching up. Thanks, Charles. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on The Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.